Well, good morning. Does everybody, are you sitting where you want to be sitting? I just want to make sure because, you know, last week we had a little bit of a dilemma. It was an epidemic, a, a breakout in which this whole side of the people, you, got, you became ill with the disease, you had boils, scratches, itches, it was terrible and it's awful, but everybody over here was in great shape. And what ultimately happened was, Brevin and his family was willing to give up his blood so that you could be healed. And we all gave thanks, right? And we remembered we would never forget what it would be like to give thanks to a God who would give His Son. We would never forget how much we owe to God because of what He did. The story or the question that we looked at last week was based on the ten lepers who were healed and the one who came back. And Jesus asked this question. He says, where are the other nine? Weren't weren't there ten who were healed? Where are they? And so we're going to look at another question today. And this is going to be in John chapter 6. And actually this whole passage is filled with questions. And if it doesn't have enough questions in it, there's a lot of questions that are going to be raised because of it. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to John chapter 6. We are going to be parking in this passage for the majority of our time here this morning. I want to encourage you, if you would, turn there. If you brought your Bible, that is great. If you didn't, repent (laughs) and bring it next week. Carry it with you everywhere that you go. Uh, I, I have my phone with me. I made sure it's on silent. Just to remind you, use your, your phone apps. We have Wi-Fi in here so that you can pick up and you can use the Bible if you prefer to use that. We would love for you to do so. Before we jump into the text, we have to talk a little bit about the context and what's going on both in this section and what's taking place in Jesus' ministry. And I want to talk about the fact that Jesus is highly, highly misunderstood. He is misunderstood not only today, but especially during His time. There was a lot of things that He said and a lot of things that He did that people just didn't quite, they didn't get it. Not only those who didn't really know Him, but even those closer to Him, there were times that He looked at them and says, Don't you understand? But John does a better job than any other gospel than highlighting the fact that Jesus was misunderstood by His people and those who chose to follow Him. In John chapter 2, He says, If the temple is destroyed, I can rebuild it in three days. And we all know, having looked back, that he's referring to the fact that he is the temple. And yet they didn't understand. And their response was, are you kidding me? It took 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to rebuild it in three days? He was misunderstood. In John chapter 3, we know John 3, right? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He was talking to... Rhymes with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, John chapter 3. And before this very powerful statement, he says, you have to be born again. And do you remember what Nicodemus said? He said, am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? 
Nicodemus didn't understand. John chapter 4, we have Jesus meeting this woman at the well. And Jesus says, you know, I, I can offer you water, living water. And her response is, um, excuse me, you don't have a bucket and the well is really deep. You don't have what it takes to carry it and you can't get there. Jesus had what it take, took to carry what needed to be carried. And that wasn't just water, that was a piece of wood that would take Him to the cross. And he could go that far. But she didn't understand. And Jesus was misunderstood. Just a few verses later, same chapter, John chapter 4. Jesus is uh, now, uh, the woman at the well has now left. The disciples has come, have come back. And they're thinking that he needs to eat something. And he says, I have food that you don't know about. And what he's talking about is he receives his sustenance from God. And they start looking at each other and they said, maybe somebody came and brought him some food while we were gone. Jesus was misunderstood. In John chapter 6, there would be 5,000 men plus women and children who were uh, following Jesus but who were hungry. And Jesus says, well, we need to feed them. I'm paraphrasing. He says, how are we going to feed these people? He already knew the answer. And one of his disciples said, there's no way we can feed them. It would take eight months' salary just to give them a little piece of bread. Jesus was misunderstood. And later in John chapter 6, where we're going to be focusing on, Jesus said something, and I have to give the disciples a little credit because what He said is really quite confusing. He says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Wow. Let's just, let's just push everything aside and let's just focus on that one statement. Let's just pull it out of the context and say we have no idea what's going on. If somebody comes up to you and says, you know, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, what are you saying? You're crazy! You're a cannibal! I don't know what's wrong with you, but I'll have no part of you. Jesus was misunderstood. And in fact, what we're going to do in a minute is I'm going to do my best to try to help place that back into a context where that doesn't seem quite so crazy, but instead it seems so very prophetic. But before we do that, I just want us to get an idea of where we are in Jesus' ministry. We're in John chapter 6. Uh, trivia question, how many chapters are in John Twenty-one. There's twenty-one. Okay, there's twenty-one chapters in John. So if you take that, you know, uh, Jesus' ministry was about three years long. It started when he's about thirty. You, you got through six, and there's twenty-one. You kind of divide that out. We're in the first few months of Jesus' ministry, right? Wrong. This is not the case with John. In fact, John starting in twelve, after eleven chapters, John chapter twelve. John is going to start talking about the last week of Jesus' life, what we call the Passion Week. So, 
we, we are much further advanced than you might think when we talk about John. John doesn't cover some of the things that Matthew and Luke do about his, his birth and his fleeing and coming back to e- going to Egypt and coming back to Nazareth. We don't have any of that. What we do have in chapter 6, in all honesty, Jesus is now uh, about two and a half years into his ministry. Okay? Uh, what takes place uh, over the, these previous chapters... Are, are very important. Uh, he has experienced a great deal of popularity. Uh, in fact, uh, if you look at the first part of John chapter 6, we're going to read something interesting. But in, in, in John chapter 5, something terrible happens. Uh, we don't have it in John chapter 5, but it took place at this time, is, is the death of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, the forerunner, the one who baptized Jesus. He was beheaded by Herodias. And her dancing daughter is what happened. And Jesus goes away to mourn, but as he's going there, he's mobbed basically by a crowd who wants to see him and his miracles. And they start following him around, and this is great. Because even in his grief, Jesus has compassion on these people. He shows a great deal of compassion after the feeding of the 5,000, the multitude, this great and wonderful miracle. Then he sends off uh, his apostles and he stays back and he prays. He's now trying to recharge, renew, revive his spirit which is worn out from teaching and from learning of the death of his cousin. He's still a human. He still gets hungry and tired and sad. And he did what God knew every human needed to do. They needed to reconnect with their Creator. And that's exactly what he does. He stays up till late into the night. He is praying. Eventually he decides he needs to catch up with the rest of the guys who are in the boat on the sea, which is churning with water, and they're hardly making any headway. And Jesus walks by, and that's where we have this great story of Jesus walking on water. Ultimately the followers of Jesus realize when they get up the next morning, they do some head counting and some boat counting, and they realize that Jesus is gone. And so we have in John chapter 6, He uh, is out on the other side, and they begin following Him. We don't have time this morning to read all of John chapter 6, because it is a quite uh, lengthy chapter at 71 verses But I would be remiss if I would stand up here and talk about who Jesus is and not read the Word of God. So, if you would join me, we are going to start in John chapter 6, verse 25. And hang in here with me and and do your best to stay focused on this because there are some some keys within this passage that are going to give us the context to why Jesus would stand up in front of people and say, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. In fact, we're going to hear one word over and over again that it almost makes sense that he has to say something like this. So let's pick up in John chapter 6, verse 25. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, When did you get here? This is after he'd walked across. He answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, 
What must we do uh, to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. Listen to this. This is important. Verse 31. Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. We're not near to where Jesus has made this statement yet, but this is really important. Important. This is where we're going to. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Are we getting an idea of what's going on? Okay, so they're talking about, okay, they ate manna from heaven, and and Jesus says, wait, hang on just a second. There's some other bread that God sent from heaven, and it's really more important, and you need to eat it. And so they're wanting to know, where is this bread? How can I get some of this? For the bread of God, verse 33, is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now he's already making a reference that this bread is not some inanimate object, it's not a loaf, but instead that it's a person. It's getting a little confusing, but yet he's going to explain. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. They were hungering for the bread that God was going to give from heaven, but in a minute, he's going to say what the bread is, and they're not sure that they're in for this. That Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall not lose none, that I shall lose none of all that He has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on that day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about Him because He said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can He now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written by the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only He has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. He says this again. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living... How many times has he said this now? I am the bread. But they're going to get confused. And they start thinking about eating flesh and drinking blood. 
He's speaking metaphorically. He's saying it was the manna that saved your forefathers. I'm the one who's going to save you. But he was misunderstood. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He's talking about the flesh in which he gives would be that of his own flesh on the cross. And the blood that he's referring to is the blood that he spills. That unless you accept the fact that I am from God, that I am God in flesh, you can have no part of the Father. Unless you believe that is my blood that covers your sins, you can have no part of the forgiveness that I offer. This is the flesh and the blood that Jesus is talking about. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They completely lost it. They're way over here. They're still talking about how the flesh is something to be eaten. He's talking about it as something that has to be consumed not by the mouth, but by the soul, that you have to believe in Him fully. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Well, now that sounds crazy unless you understand what's just taken place. He's outlined that He is the one that provides life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. What's the bread? The bread is Christ. The bread is Jesus as Messiah. The bread is the fact that they couldn't wrap their minds around that God would come down in flesh and appear to them, and walk among them. And if He did come down, why in the world would He be the son of a carpenter? This lowly person who was born of an illegitimate mother, this terrible situation, so it seemed, as far as everybody else was concerned, He was born in a barn. They took out a trough that was smelly and wet and dirty and they cleared out the food as much as they could and they placed this baby in there. And later on this baby would say, I'm the king of the world. Big statements. But these statements would be proven not just by His crucifixion, but by His resurrection. And he's going to say this right here. He said this while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum, verse 60. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching, who can accept it? The Greek actually uses the the Greek word akuo, which means hear. And it basically says, who can hear him? Now they're not talking about can they actually audibly hear him. What they're saying is, how is this possible? 
This can't be. He can't be Messiah because we, what we know about Him. Because we know His father and His mother. We know where He came from. And the claims that He makes is completely outrageous. Aware that His disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Here's one of of several questions I want to look at this morning. Does this offend you? Think about it. Does the cross of Christ offend you? Does the fact that Jesus doesn't promise life will be wonderful and great, but instead it will be full of hardship and disappointment, does that offend you? Does it hurt you that when He says, I love you, but I'm not going to give you everything you want, does that bother you? Are you upset by the fact that this world does not run the way you think it should run? That injustice occurs, and that God is holding out His judgment until the final day. Does that bother you? Because Jesus wants to know, has this really upset you? Are you offended by this? Does it bother you that I don't do everything the way you want it to be? That I'm the king, but I'm not the king that you want me to be. That I'm going to do the things that I need to do, but they're going to happen in my way, not in your way. And on my time and not on your time. Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where He was before? Now He's saying, okay. Does it bother you? I claim to be the bread of life that came down from heaven. Will you be less offended if you see me go back up to heaven? Then will you believe me? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet... There are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray Him. And He said to them, This is why I told you, no one can come to Me unless the Father has enabled Him. Now listen to this. This verse has haunted me for quite a long time. From this time, many of His disciples turned back And no longer followed him. I want you to think about this. There's three groups of people that we're really looking at aside from Jesus. We have the the Jews who they're arguing and complaining. That's what they do best. They go after Jesus, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. They want to attack Jesus, trap Jesus, kill Jesus. That's their job. That's what they want to do. Then you have this larger circle here, which is his followers, his disciples. And then when you have within that a kind of concentric ring, you have a tighter group of of the twelve. Which, by the way, this is the first time in John he refers to the twelve. But we're two and a half years into the ministry. People now recognize that Jesus had twelve. So when they said the twelve, people knew what that was. And so you have the Jews who are always attacking Jesus. But now they strike a nerve in that some of the disciples, the followers, maybe a large group it seems like, decided that their logic was better than Jesus's, And that what he was saying was too hard to understand. And they were offended by this. So much so that many of them left. Last week, 
this half of the auditorium got deathly ill. And I apologize for that. This time, this side right here is the only one left. I want to pick on you for just a minute. What would happen if these three sides, these three aisles decided, you know what? Christianity is too tough. I don't really get what Jesus is saying. There's better things to do on a Sunday than sit and listen to somebody yell. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just not going anymore. And just like that, whoosh. And so now we're down to 40 people. They've left. What do you do? Do you stay? I mean, do we keep our same pews? I mean, now you can go sit anywhere you want. Is it, do, we, do you go somewhere else? Do you think that, you know what? Majority rules. If all of them left, then why should I stay around? I mean, just think. We just lost three quarters of our singing. We just lost three quarters of our teachers. Who's going to help make food on Wednesday nights so we can eat? This is, these are issues that we have. Who's going to help pay for the lights? You know, this is just getting a little too real for me right now. Do I really want to hang out? Is it worth staying for this? Are you offended that Jesus would drive off the people? Now get this, this has really hit home to me. Because do you notice what Jesus doesn't do? Because I've looked everywhere and there, I cannot find a Greek manuscript anywhere that says this. Although there should be one. There should be a 66 part B, right? Because we have 66A that says that everybody left. 66B should say, but we can't find it. But somewhere it has to say, Jesus says, Wait, no, don't go! Don't go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Man, that was tough. I tell you what, just show up, hang around, and we're good. Just don't leave. I'll feed you, I'll give you what you want, and you can be happy, and just don't go, okay? It would look bad for the numbers. You know, I've got a board I've got to look to. I mean, the 12 would be really upset. God would be mad if I let this many people leave, so let's just make it easy. Let's talk, we won't talk about the, the eating the flesh, not about dying. You want a king, I'll be the king that you want. That actually would take 66, 7... 68. It would take a lot, but somewhere in the back of my mind, I think that's what Jesus has to say, right? I mean, where would I be? What would happen if next week three quarters of you were gone and you're all that's left? And what I'm thinking is, I've got to get on the phone. Vaughn, come on. You know what? We really need you. I'm sorry. You know what? It was, it was a little tough. Just hang in there. You know what? I tell you what, I'm going to make it up to you guys. We're going to have a special meal on Wednesday night just so you'll come back. We're going to change some things because, you know what, if we did things a little different in worship, then you might like it better and you may not leave. Jesus says nothing. He doesn't chase after them. He doesn't soften the message. He doesn't beg for them. 
Because Jesus understands that if it's going to be your choice, it has to be your choice, and that He's not going to change who He is or what He does to soften it up so you would go. And so He watches a large group of His people leave. They walk out. These are people who had followed Him for a long time. Some of them, most likely, were ones who had been healed. Certainly a lot of them had seen the miracles that He had done. And here they are, they just leave. And He, he lets them go. And I have to think that that some of the twelve were like, Jesus, go get them! I mean, we need them! How can we feed the multitudes if there's no multitude? I mean, we've got to have people around. I mean, how can you preach the Sermon on the Mount when there's only a few people? But Jesus is not concerned about numbers. He's concerned about souls. You see, his concern right now is for you. He's not concerned about how many people are sitting around you. He's concerned about you. He's not concerned how many people are entertained on a Sunday morning. He wants to know, are you willing to have a relationship with Him? Are you willing to eat His flesh and drink His blood? Are you offended by the way He chooses to offer salvation to this world? And so we get to the real question that Jesus asked. You don't want to leave me, do you? That's the question. This small group of followers watched in mass hundreds, if not thousands, of people say, I don't get his teaching. It's too difficult. I can't do it. And they get up and they walk out. And now he's looking at a small group of people and he says, You don't want to leave, do you? He says it in such a way there's a a negative in there. He's expecting them to say no because he knows they're going to say no. We're going to stay. But that's the question I want to ask you. Are you willing to stay? At what point do you say, I'm out of this. I'm breaking the contract. What does it take for you to want to be here? And at what point do you say, I'm going to leave? What happens if the message gets offensive to you? What if it causes relationships to break apart? What if it causes persecution? What if, what if worship isn't as fun as you want it to be? What if class isn't entertaining? What if it goes a little long or the food on Wednesday night isn't quite as good? I mean, at what point do we say, you know what, I'm out. I can't take this anymore. You know, and and Peter, I just, I love what he says here. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? I don't want you to misinterpret this passage. I, I have as the title of this sermon, Out of Options. And I wrestled with that because I don't, I don't want Jesus to be the last resort. But I want Him to be the only one. 
Because if He's not the only reason that you have life, then you have no life at all. He's it. He's the one thing that matters. The one thing. When everything else goes, if you lose your job, your car, your house, and you're on the side of the road and you're looking for something to eat, you still have Jesus, and that's enough. And Peter says, where else are we going to go? There is no one who gives what you give. Now, could Peter go back to fishing with his brother? Of course he could. In fact, later on, he's going to be tempted to do that. Grab a net, let's just go fish. Because we know what we can do. Jesus should be your only option. If you have not figured out that He is the only way, then you're not going the right way. He's it. That's all there is to it. Jesus makes no bones about it. Not once. Over and over again, He says, I don't want second place. And if you don't want to put Me first, that's a choice that you make. And I will grant you back, and with grace and mercy I will accept you. But let me tell you something. If you choose something else, you choose to walk. And verse 66 has a period and it ends right there. People left and Jesus didn't say, I'm going to change it for you. He says, this is who I am and this is what I offer. And you need to know this. There will never be a better offer than Jesus Christ. Amen? There is never a better offer. Nothing will come in the mail. I don't care if Ed McMahon shows up at the door with a check. It's not better than what Jesus offers. There is nothing better. Do you want to leave Him? What's your response? Where else would we go? Not because, uh, you're all we got, but you're the best there is. You're the best there is. Now, that shouldn't make us sad. We shouldn't be depressed about that. We should be joyful about that. Somewhere down the line, we decided that if you're obedient, you can't be joyful, and if you're joyful, you can't be obedient. That just doesn't work that way at all. No one spread more joy than Jesus. He walked into a place with a lame man, and before long, that lame man was jumping for joy. There's a blind man who couldn't see. Jesus came, brought back his eyesight, gave him back life, and this man shouted for joy. We are to be joyful because he is who we have chosen. This morning, what I want to ask you to do is I want you to make a decision. I want you to choose Jesus and know that he is the only way that you want to go, that there's no other place. And if everybody else leaves, you're still going to follow Him. He's worth following. He walked all the way to the cross. And He was nailed to it so that we could follow Him to heaven. What a joyful ending. 
What a surprise that the king who promised so much could deliver. And he still delivers this morning. I want you to know if you found yourself shackled in sin and you're struggling, I want to tell you even if you find his, his reasoning difficult, even if you're struggling, I want you to know that he still offers life to you. He is the bread of life, and He calls you to accept it this morning. If there's any way we can help you, we have elder shepherds here that will assist you. We'll have one in a back room called our family room. It's right through that hallway. If you need somebody to pray with you confidentially, they will be there for you. If you want to stand where you are and make a commitment to God that you will follow Him regardless of where the the masses are going, you do that right then. If you can come forward and we can pray for you publicly, we'd be happy to do that with you. Let us continue to serve the Lord with gladness. Let's all do it as we stand and sing.